0: Fantastic. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Please, if you brought your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The older I get, the more amazed I am at what I don't know. When I was 18, I was much, much more smart than my parents. But the older I get, the more I'm confronted with all I don't know and blown away by it actually and it It continually shocks me that in American culture, in spite of all we do not know, in spite of all we're even willing to admit we do not know, and yet we can stand before a microphone or write in a book and proclaim with certainty there is no God. It's troubling to me. I'm willing to admit, be the first one to admit, there's a lot that I don't know. I hope you're open-minded enough to make that same statement. I did a little research this past week and came upon a few more things that I didn't realize I didn't know. How many of you have ever gone to the junk drawer, grabbed an old rubber band, pulled it out, stretched it around, pop! They reach in, grab another old rubber band, pull it out, stretch it around, pop! They're too old. Guess what I learned this week? Store your rubber bands in the refrigerator and they'll last longer. Did you know that? I did not know that. Did you know that the shark is the only fish in the ocean that can blink both of his eyes at the same time? I did not know that. Did you? Did you know that the eye of an ostrich is bigger than its brain? I'm looking around at some of our husbands and young people and I'm thinking the eye of an ostrich is big, bigger than a lot of our brains, right? Right? Speaking of husbands, did you know that a goldfish has a memory of only three seconds? Three seconds. Did you know that there are no words in the English language that rhyme with silver, purple, orange, or month? Give you a minute. I didn't believe that when I read it. But it's true. Did you know those beautiful dragonflies that we see in the summertime? Only live for 24 hours. Did you know that? So if you see one of those beautiful blue and bluish yellow or bluish green dragonflies, you better, you better say goodbye because he's not going to be around very long. <laughs> Look, we're getting very close to rolling out our plan for the new building and the renovation of this building. Uh, the architects have completed all of their drawings Uh, They've acquired almost all of the permits. By the way, when you pray for this process at our church, pray for the fire marshal, okay? Because evidently there are a lot of hoops to get through with the fire marshal to make everything just right. But we're really close to my stepping out here on a Sunday morning, probably just a few weeks, and saying, here it is, here's what it's going to look like. There's the number, then I'm going to challenge us to give like we've never given before, so we can get this thing rolling, so, before we start getting into the future of Grace Community Church, and Tyler told you next Sunday we're going to open up a brand new series of messages entitled Family. Thanksgiving to me is all about family. So I decided I'd take three Sundays and talk about your family. What does the Bible say about family and parenting and that sort of thing? And then we're going to spill right into Christmas. Before we get into any of that, I just wanted to take one Sunday, make it stand alone all by itself and share my heart with you. Something that's been on my heart for quite some time. In fact, I would call it it at least makes the top five of my most important things to communicate to Grace Community Church. I mean, obviously, the inspired revelation, the Word of God being the authority in our lives, that it is accurate, that it is not only insightful, but inspired of God, that makes the top three. (laughs) The fact that Jesus Christ demonstrated His grace, or God's grace, By dying on the cross for our sins and he rose again the third day, that of course makes the top three. But today I want to talk to something that at least makes the top five. Today I want to encourage you in your faith walk. Today when you leave, I want you to have a better understanding as to whether or not you're on the right track in your faith walk. When you leave here today, I want you to feel as though you have a deeper understanding of what the right path or the right track in the faith walk looks like. I want to remind you of something that's super important and challenge you to invest in your faith walk. Because guess what, church? Like every other thing in life you could possibly name, you're going to get out of your faith walk what you put in it. So today, I'm going to kind of narrow the scope and challenge you to put something in it. Now, when you know you're on the right track it's very, very valuable. It's super productive. It's valuable, in fact, for two reasons. Number one, it's good for you. And number two, it's good for us. You see, if you know you're on the right track in your personal walk with God, then when you face opposition, you stand firm because you know you're on the right track. When you know you're on the right track in your faith walk and you Stare down difficulty, things don't go your way, circumstances are beyond your control, you're standing on a very firm foundation. You don't bat an eye, you don't back down, because you know you're on the right track. When you know you're on the right track, no matter what's happening around you, you remain focused on a goal, because you know you're on the right track. It's better for you, it's better for us as well. Because if you're on the right track and you're part of a church that's on the right track, then you know what the result is? Teamwork and community. Those are powerful things. Teamwork and community are the result. The sky's the limit. You see, as we collectively move forward, you're moving forward as well. Church, please, please never ever assume that the faith walk is some sort of wandering experience that lacks meaning and there's no real measuring devices along the way. The Bible is crystal clear. You can know when you are on the right track in your faith walk. Never assume that it's like wandering around aimlessly, just sort of hoping for the best, pop into church when you can, say a prayer when you need to, but the rest is up to you and you just sort of hope that things work out. That's not the faith walk of the real men and women in this book. When I read this book, both Old and New Testament, I am struck with example after example of real men and real women who really lived historical lives and they pursued God purposefully. They pursued Jesus Christ purposefully. I want to show you an example of one of those today in the Apostle Paul. But first, a principle. Here it is. Your values will define your faith walk. Before we move any further, I need you to know this. Your values will define your faith walk, not your parents, not their religion, not your experience, not even your knowledge. It is your values that will define your faith walk. Your values will determine how far you can go. Your values will determine whether or not you're on the right track. All of us have experience with a football team who may have shared a common goal, but because they did not share common values... They did not reach their goal. There are numerous NFL football teams that if you went to their facility, it's sign after sign like Super Bowl or bust or Super Bowl winners or they've got a goal. They share a desire. Every player on that team wants to win that Super Bowl. But if that team does not share the same values, they're never going to reach their goal. If a team does not share the value of hard work, of discipline, of determination, of self-discipline. If a team doesn't share the values of the process, they're never going to experience the product of their goal. How many times have I stood up here before and told you, God is not so much about the product in life, he's all about the process. Nick Saban, the seven-time national championship Winningest college football coach of all time is all about the process. You can't reach your goal, you can't grasp the product if you're not willing to work for the process the process of determination, the process of hard work, self discipline, etc. Your values define your faith walk. Your values as a family define your family, whether you know it or not. Parents, let me ask you a question. What do your children value? What does your fifth grader value? What does your teenager value? In my home, we had clear-cut values. We valued hard work, so I had a list of chores even when I was eight years old. I helped my dad in the yard, my sister helped my mom in the house. We valued in my home self-discipline. As a second grader, I had to make my bed best I could before we left for school. In our home, we valued kindness and forgiveness because sometimes brothers and sisters will say and do stupid things and there's no way to go back and undo it. You can't fix it or change it, take it back. So the only option you have is someone's got to be willing to forgive. And in my home, we valued forgiveness. In my home, we valued gratitude. So when you sat down at the dinner table, you had to clean your plate, asparagus and everything. It's just the way it was. Parents, let me ask you again. What do your children value? Because those shared values are defining your family. Those shared values make you strong as a family. Guess what? Shared values make us strong as a church. That's because values are like glue. They stick us together. They're far more resilient than emotion or feeling. No. They're values. They're concrete. In fact, they're like a foundation upon which you can build something strong and lasting. Shared values come from within. They build a strong foundation. Shared values are like a ruler. They enable you to measure your progress. Uh, Ken Blanchard is not only an author and a Christ follower, he is a management specialist, a logistics genius. Ken Blanchard writes, and I quote, core values have meaning only when they are further defined in terms of how people actually behave. Let me read that one more time. Core values have meaning only when they are further defined in terms of how people actually behave. You know what that means? That means when your children understand your family values they're going to understand why they're being punished or they're going to understand why they're being rewarded dr john maxwell is the in my view the last great leadership guru of the 20th century and in one of his leadership books john maxwell writes We are who we are because of what we believe, the values that we embrace. It's who we are. They define us. That's what values do. What you deem valuable, what you deem important, that's going to define you whether you know it or not. At this church, we share certain values, like a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. At this church, that's a value. We exist to show people there really is a better way of life in Christ. So let me ask you, have you bought in? Have you bought in? Have you embraced authentic faith in Jesus Christ? Is it your intentional desire to follow him? If it is, then you share that value with this team. We share values like a shared commitment to quality decisions. You know, I read somewhere that every day we make 8,000 decisions. 8,000 decisions. Now, I'm not talking about the little ones. I'm not talking about what socks I'm going to wear want to go to church. That's a decision you made this morning, but that one doesn't count. I'm talking about the quality decisions with lasting results. At this church, we share a commitment to those quality decisions. Almost every Sunday, I challenge you in one way or another to make the quality decision. We also share a commitment to the walk of faith. Do you know the Bible says clearly? It gets straight to the point. Followers of Jesus Christ do not live by sight, they live by faith. Followers of Jesus Christ do not react to circumstances by sight, they react in faith. Followers of Jesus Christ do not respond to someone who's being unfair or unkind in sight, we do it by faith. Followers of Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, do not walk by sight, We walk by faith. And to those who are committed to the walk of faith, there is absolutely no substitute for it. One last one. At this church, we share a commitment to the mission. I told you a moment ago, this church exists to show people a better way of life in Christ. Do you share that commitment with us? If you're part of that team and you share this value, let me ask you, when's the last time you invited somebody to church? When's the last time you had prayer with somebody at At the lunch table. When's the last time you shared an encouraging Bible passage with someone who needs it? Because you'd read it earlier and it meant something to you. Look, God is blessing Grace Community Church. Tyler said earlier, every Sunday I meet a brand new family. Families are coming from all around driving 30 and 40 minutes to be a part of this, your local church We're poised to grow even more when we start building buildings and preparing for more and more children, more and more responsibility, more and more resources, more and more diversity. I believe one of the reasons God is blessing this church is because we're on the right track. At this church, we understand authentic faith. Do you know, I rarely ever speak to someone about this church, whether they've been here 20 years or they're brand new, that they don't use one of two words. Pastor Mike, my my family attends this church because it seems real to us. It just seems real. It's not made up. It doesn't seem overly religious. It's authentic. It seems genuine, and we like that, so we attend grace. The other word they use is relevant. When you stand up there and you talk, you're not talking over my head. It seems relevant to where I am. It seems relevant to who I am real, authentic, genuine, and relevant. These are goals, not necessarily just goals, but values at Grace Community Church. See, some mistakenly assume that the Christian life or the walk of faith is some sort of ivory tower existence. I have never known a sincere, devoted follower of Jesus Christ who walks around all the time hearing angelic choir music in their head There are no problems in their life. It's solitude and prayer. Everything comes easily. I've never seen it before. One of the most refreshing qualities about this church that you are responsible for is Grace Community Church is one of the most freed up churches I've ever been a part of. There are people in this auditorium in both services who are in very different places in their faith walk. And that's not only accepted, that's encouraged at this church. We don't all have to look alike and we don't all have to act alike. We don't all have to dress alike and pray alike and speak alike. The diversity is a beautiful thing. There are people in this room right now, as well as the early service today. Who haven't even bought into what I'm talking about? They're still skeptical of the things I say on Sundays. And at this church, that's not only acceptable, it's encouraged. We're glad to have you. Others, however, they believe Christianity is all about manipulation or exploitation. Some of you, and I know because we've had the conversation, have been hurt by a church, you've been hurt by a pastor. You've been let down by someone who claimed to follow Jesus Christ. You see, I personally don't believe that you build healthy disciples by tearing them down every Sunday. So when you come to this church, you're not going to hear me deliver a message like, you're not good enough. You're never going to make it. You've got too much baggage. I don't ever want you leaving here thinking, oh my goodness gracious. Gracious. What am I going to do? I'm never going to make it. It's like the earth might as well split right now. I'm going to dive straight into hell because according to him, I'm never going to make it. Again, you don't build healthy disciples by tearing them down every Sunday. At this church, we want you to see where you are, where you're headed, how things are going. And I promise you, when you get close to reaching that goal, we're not going to just raise the bar. We're not going to move the goalpost. We're not about exploitation or manipulation of people and their sincere desire to follow Jesus Christ. We're about authenticity in the faith walk. That's what I want to talk about today. From 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to show you that Paul the Apostle knew all about authentic Christianity, he knew all about the authentic faith walk. Now, before I read, by way of background, we're about to drop in the middle of about a five-year relationship that Paul had with a church in Corinth, Greece. Corinth was a busy port city in Greece. It was largely pagan. It was incredibly industrial and progressive-minded. And Paul started a church there on his second missionary journey. You know, Paul, if you're not familiar with Paul the Apostle, greatest missionary the church has ever known. When Paul found Christ on the road to Damascus, you can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 9, he became the most prolific missionary the church has ever known. Paul traveled on a series of three missionary journeys through Asia Minor and Europe. And as he would go, he would set up a church. When it came to Corinth, he set up a church and stayed with them almost 2 years according to the book of Acts. Once he set up the church, he'd move on. After setting up Corinth, he moved to Ephesus. In Ephesus, he spent 3 years with them. Eventually, he appointed Timothy, the same Timothy that the two letters are written to in your New Testament, 1st and 2nd Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus. And by the way, Bible scholars believe that the church of Ephesus is largely or likely the most productive and authentic church of the New Testament. Corinth was not. Corinth was a super problematic church. In fact, scholars tell us that Paul, not, Paul wrote the most letters to the church at Corinth than any other church in the New Testament. He wrote a total of four. We only have two because we believe the two middle letters were lost somehow. The first letter, 1 Corinthians, was a response to all the questions the church had after Paul left them. They had created a lot of problems for themselves. The church was was falling apart. It It was drifting into paganism and idolatry. And so someone sat down and began to write Paul a letter. What do we do about this? What should we do about that? How should we respond to that? Tell us what to do. When Paul received the letter and read it, he wrote them the first of four First Corinthians, the letter in your New Testament. By the time we get to this second letter, what was likely the fourth, Paul's credibility is being compromised and challenged in the church at Corinth. You can imagine, Paul sets it up, and while he's there, everything's strong, everything is gung ho. But when Paul leaves and he's gone for three years in Ephesus, false teachers crept in and they started to challenge Paul's credibility. You know, Paul really wasn't an apostle. This whole story about seeing Jesus on his way to Damascus, that didn't really happen. They started to challenge his credibility and his credentials. So the purpose of 2 Corinthians is twofold. Paul wrote, number one, to defend his resume, to defend his apostleship. And number two, to straighten out this church and get them on the right track. What I want you to see from what we're about to read is perhaps one of the most clear-cut, straightforward descriptions of authentic faith, a man who's on the right track in his faith walk that you'll ever see in any other part of the Bible. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3. Paul writes, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path. Remember, Paul is defending his apostleship. He's defending his credibility. Paul is defending his values and the authenticity of his faith. Remember, he says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our, mist- so that our ministry will not be discredited. You know, one of the biggest stumbling blocks in the first century church of the New Testament was legalism. Legalism is a poison in a local church. Legalism demands that you see it the way I see it, that you believe what I believe, that you do it the way I do it, that you look the way I look, that you talk the way I talk. You see, the Bible says things like in Romans, don't be conformed to the image of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a pretty broad and general statement. We all get the point, but exactly what does that mean? The moment I stand up here and start defining to you what transformation looks like is the moment I become the legalist. That's why I so often say the Bible is not a rule book. The Bible says things like pursue righteousness. We get that, right? The moment I stand on this stage and start describing to you exactly what that means and how that looks and judging you because your idea doesn't look like mine, I become a legalist. Keep it simple. The Bible says things like, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what if I stood here and I gave you a long list? Well, this is what you've got to do to love your neighbor. You'd say, no, that's what you might need to do to love your neighbor, but... I've got a different neighbor. Me loving my neighbor is not going to look like that. It's going to look like this. The Bible is not a rule book, church. Paul said, I didn't lay it out that way for you. I worked double time to make sure that my work wasn't discredited. Paul want, wanted to make sure it was simple in the minds of the Corinthian church. In fact, To the Corinthian church, Paul made that famous statement, while I was with you, I preached Christ crucified and Christ risen again. That's how simple it was. Because you cannot add anything to grace, nor can you take anything away from grace, to do so is legalism. And there are books in your New Testament, Galatians at the top of the list, that were written for the sole purpose of combating such legalism. Keep reading. Look at verse 4. Rather, instead, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, and then colon. All right, what's about to follow is a lengthy list of qualifications and values that Paul embraced that demonstrate the authenticity of his faith. Okay, you follow me? Here they are. In great endurance, Paul's describing himself while he was with the Corinthians, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, sleepless, excuse me, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand, and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beating and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. In other words, I've been transparent. You know me. And open wide our hearts to you, We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you, my children, open wide your hearts also. That's my challenge to you as well, church. If you attend this church or have for some time, you need to know that for nearly 30 years, we have opened our hearts to you. We are sincere in our claim that we care about you your faith walk, your relationship with God. These things matter to this body. We're asking as a fair exchange for you to open yours toward us. Now from this passage, again, we've got one of the clearest and most realistic descriptions of authentic Christianity in the entire Bible. And when I break this down in three simple ways, many of you are going to realize, hey, I'm closer than I thought. I didn't realize I'm as close as I am. I'm almost on the right track. Others are going to realize, "Mm, I've got some things to work on. But all of us can benefit from Paul's description of a Christ follower who's on the right track. Here they are. I'm going to break that passage down into three sections. Number one, an authentic follower of Jesus Christ endures realistic circumstances. An authentic follower of Jesus Christ endures realistic circumstances. Paul says in verse 4, I want to commend myself. Now, that word doesn't mean what you think it means. Paul's not patting himself on the back. He's not applauding himself, okay? The word actually means I'm going to show you something. I'm going to bring this to, dis- to dis- I'm going to put this on display. I'm going to bring this to light. Paul's saying, I'm going to bring this to light. Here comes my resume. i want to remind you of who I really am. I'm going to show you my integrity and my authenticity. I'm going to bring it out. I'm going to display it in all kinds of circumstances. And then he starts to list them. He talks about inner struggles when he says, in troubles, hardships, and distresses. Did you see that? In troubles, hardships, and distresses, end of verse five. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced troubles, hardships, and distresses. Can I see your hand? Of course, every hand in the auditorium is raised. Paul said, I know I'm on the right track. My faith in Christ is authentic because I've experienced realistic circumstances. Then he talks about external hardships. He talks about beatings prisons, even riots. Now, I haven't been beaten in a while, thank God. I've never been to prison, and I've never been in the middle of a riot. But all of us truly understand external hardships, things that have come upon us through no fault of our own. All of us truly understand when circumstances change and they move against us and not for us, Paul is saying, you should know my faith is authentic because I've not only wrestled with inner struggles, I've endured external hardships. And then, if that weren't enough, he says, I also know about private disciplines. He says in verse five, I know about hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. Paul said, I know about hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. Sound familiar? Every one of us in this room can relate to inner struggles, external hardships, and private disciplines. You know what it is to struggle to do the right thing, even when the circumstances go against you. Authentic followers of Christ are not superhuman. They don't live above the problems in this world. Well, I just thought that if you love God hard enough and you prayed long enough, all your troubles went away. What book in the Bible have you been studying? Authentic followers of Jesus Christ experience realistic circumstances. Do you know why? Because life in the Spirit of God is still life in this body. I'm never going to become so spirit filled that I'm any less human. Did you hear that? I'm never going to stand here and tell you that Pastor Mike never loses his temper never says something he shouldn't say or would like to take back. I'm not going to ever stand here and promise you some kind of walk with God that is above or beyond the struggles of my flesh. I probably get every bit as angry as you do at certain things. I probably have words that come to my mind that I want to say to the person in front of me at the stoplight just like you. Because, as an authentic follower of Jesus Christ, we're never promised anything other than realistic circumstances. Look, quick word of caution here against something that's pervasive in our culture. We call it the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth doctrine. There are those out there who misinterpret certain passages in the Word of God who claim that you can become so filled with God as to rise above any kind of financial distress, never be touched by illness, never succumb to a problem of any kind. Not according to what I just read. Paul said, I know about inner struggles. I know about wanting to do better, but I can't seem to make it happen. I know about external hardships when people get under my skin or circumstances turn against me, and I know about private disciplines. I've lay in bed many nights unable to sleep. Next. The reason Paul was on the right track is because he held to biblical values. I told you earlier that your values define you. Paul just gave us an entire list, a rather lengthy list of nine qualities of an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Easily achieved? Absolutely not. But readily available and pursuable? Certainly. That's our duty. Let me put these nine things on the list. Here it is. Paul said in verse six, purity. You know what purity means? A clean, uncluttered life. Some of you would be shocked how easy it is to fall asleep when you've got a clear conscience. You've apologized when you needed to apologize. You've forgiven when you needed to forgive. You're not keeping secrets from your wife or from your husband. Purity, a clean, uncluttered lifestyle. Understanding, he lists. Understanding is not knowledge. Understanding is akin to wisdom. Understanding is about a practical awareness of truth and how that truth fits my circumstance. He talks about patience. That's endurance. He talks about kindness. He talks about the Spirit. That's a believer's inner compass and guide, the Holy Spirit. He talks about sincere love. That's unselfish, agape, highest form of love, seeking the good of others. He talks about truthful speech. That was a value in my home growing up. Some of the worst whoopings I got was for lying to my daddy or lying to my mama. Paul talks about truthful speech, power of God. That's our source of enablement. And then the weapons of righteousness in my right hand and my left. Those are listed for you, by the way, in Ephesians chapter 6. Nine qualities that describe authenticity of the faith. Now, I, I got to be honest and transparent with you. I can't imagine bringing all nine of those to their full potential at the same time in my life. Because I'm only human. I would imagine that if I ever get a handle on understanding, my patience is going to be suffering. Or if I ever get a handle on being kind to others, that I'm not going to want to be truthful in my speech. Or if I ever get a hold of God's power in my life, it won't be long before I'm struggling with my purity. But still they're there. And still they're worth pursuing. And they're valuable, according to the Apostle Paul. You can know that Paul was on the right track. He wanted them to know his faith was authentic because he held the biblical values. You're on the right track if those things are important to you, if they matter to you. Number three, from verses 8 and 10, Paul's faith was authentic because he anticipated mixed results. Mixed results. Everything didn't go Paul's way. And here's what I'm trying to explain. Even when Paul won, there were those who thought he lost. Even when Paul succeeded, there was someone who called it failure. Did you notice that list of paradoxes at the end of the passage? Paul said, to some my life is glorious, to others it's dishonoring. Can't please all the people all the time. To some I'm genuine, to others I'm an imposter, he wrote. I'm known to some, but I'm completely unknown to others. In some things I can rejoice, but if I'm honest... There are other things I can find only sorrow. I live in poverty financially, but I've made many spiritually rich. But not everybody sees it that way. Dr. Chuck Swindoll writes, and I quote, A believer must be able to cope with contrasts, the irony of what appears to be and the truth of what is. Sometimes I know deep down in my heart and spirit that I have won, and yet someone sees it as a loss. Sometimes I know deep down in my heart and spirit that I'm making progress, and yet someone will see it as backing up. The true follower of Christ anticipates mixed results because not everybody's going to see it the way you see it. Paul's results were mixed. He wasn't always successful, but listen, church, he wasn't always defeated either. He was misunderstood, he was mislabeled, he was misquoted, he was misrepresented. Some people responded, but many more rejected him. But Paul anticipated realistic results. Again, someone is going to see your win as a loss. That's just the way it is. Now, let me wrap this up. Again, authentic Christ followers are not superheroes. They don't live in ivory towers above the problems of the world. Like Paul, they endure realistic circumstances. Things don't always go their way. They hold the biblical values and they anticipate mixed results. Guess what? You're seated beside some of them right now, today. They don't look any different than you. But they may know they're on the right track and you don't. They're on the right track and they're part of a team that makes up Grace Community Church. There are many, many things that we cannot know in this life. Many things I'll never know in this life. But one thing I can know for sure is when I'm on the right track in my faith walk. And I pray you do as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clear language that you've given us to help us recognize when we're moving in the right direction. Father, forgive us for overcomplicating something as simple as following your Son, Jesus Christ. Convince those who are here today that they're either on the right track or there's some improvement that needs to be made. Inspire and motivate us, Father, to endure realistic circumstances, not quit, take our ball and storm out and go home. To to hold on to, to, to biblical values and to anticipate mixed results because that's what life is. Help us, I pray, in the name of your risen Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you, Grace Community Church. I hope you make it a fantastic week.